Good afternoon. First Bible reading today comes from Acts chapter 2. We're starting from verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who, who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The second reading is Romans chapter 2, starting from verse 3 to 21. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share in the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful what you do, what, what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, today is our last week in this series before we kick off uh, an Advent series uh, all the way into Christmas. It's a little bit terrifying that we've already hit the Advent series. Um, I got here in July, which is in the middle of the year. We're nearly at Christmas. Scary. Uh, anyway, um, I hope this group of sermons has been helpful for you. I actually really hope that it's been tangible for you. Um, that's a really good piece of feedback if you are thinking about giving feedback to any of the preachers uh, about the tangibility of stuff like this. Um, we've been thinking about church today really, uh, how it clashes with a social movement that for us in Australia is kind of always at play in our lives to varying degrees, uh, although I'm not sure how much we necessarily notice it. And that's the one that we're talking about today is individualism. 
Uh, before I kick off, uh, how about I start by praying. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now that you would help us to know you, that by your spirit you would change us. We thank you for your church, and I pray, Lord, that you help us to understand how best to serve you through it and how best to be part of this family. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are teachers. That's kind of that's a Christian thing, right? A lot of my friends are teachers. Uh, and one of them was telling me the other day about a student uh, who they were kind of telling off in their class. This kind of, this student's about, I'm trying to use no genders at all. Uh, this student was like eight years old, I'm pretty sure. Um, and something that they said, they kind of got in trouble for shouting at their friends and upsetting them and getting a bit aggressive. Uh, and they turned to their teacher, and in response to talking about the issue, they said, look, when I get upset, I shout. That's just who I am. And it's kind of crazy that that's a reasonable answer to a question, but I think for a lot of us, actually, um, the initial, oh, actually, I can completely understand now why someone might say something like that in response. That's just, that's who I am. It's not my problem, man. It's your problem if you can't deal with who I am. Uh, Individualism is a really important movement that came out of the 18th, 19th, 20th centuries. Uh, We see its kind of big foundations in in the French Revolution, really. Um, But in the 21st century, it's not really kind of openly spoken about, but it is implied in a huge amount of public discussion. I'm going to, can we get a black screen up? I've just realized how distracting that picture is. We'll be using that again. Um, Individualism is a view that emphasizes the intrinsic worth of the individual. Individualists promote realizing one's goals and desires, valuing independence and self-reliance, and advocating that the interests of the individual should gain precedence over the state or a social group while opposing external interference upon one's own self-interests by society or institutions such as the government. Libertarians are a classic individualist movement. Uh, This movement is often characterized by its anti-authoritarian approach, so it dislikes the kind of invasion of authority onto what the individual is doing, uh, and its more extreme version is known as anarchy. Uh, A good example of a movie would be like Fight Club uh, that emphasizes the individual. Uh, This is quite clearly opposed to collectivism, which is when the state or the group's needs are prioritized over the individual. It's an ideology that has been been utilized by both the right and the left of politics uh, in different ways. On the right, you tend to have small government um, advocates who dislike the governments involved in society and will often take a neoliberal kind of a privatization approach to services. And then on the left, you have social movements that seek to elevate the rights of the minority who suffer at the hands of the greater collective. Uh, Some movements driven by this have been incredibly important for society. Great example is the civil rights movement or feminism. Uh, moving power away from the state who claim to act for the good of the collective and placing it in the hands of the individual. And I think for m- well, most of in this room would agree, it's often been a very necessary principle for people to hold. At its heart, though, this approach in the West finds its origin in Judeo-Christian values. Uh, a lot of people fighting for rights were coming from the perspective that each person is made in the image of God and so has an individual inherent 
value. In a society where the rights of the powerful were being preserved, like in 1950s America, uh, the, oh, sorry, the vulnerable had, needed, had something that needed to be done for them. They needed to be recognized as being individually valuable over a powerful collective. Individual freedom is a biblical concept. But it is easy when not tempered by other values that we find in the Bible for people to desire more than just freedom. Individualism has had a significant effect on the development of our societies, and it's particularly strong in countries like Australia. In the, in the West, we tend to fantasize about the success of the individual, uh, and we have ideals such as the Australian dream. Australians, I have found, having, as an immigrant who has lived here for most of my life now, um, Australians have a very strong sense of their individualism. And we see it in the never-ending tension between literally whoever is in government and the people. Australians don't like being told what to do. Lockdown resistance was a really good example of this. The government policy was by nature collective, and this ground against people's belief in their individualism. And so while, mo while most people were willing to accept it, they would only accept it on a temporary basis, right? You still kind of had this uneasiness about a collective principle being enforced on you. While there are many elements of this ideology that are great and actually come out of Christian thinking, though, it does come with some challenges. And that's that in the modern world, in the 21st century, individualism in the West has become less about liberation, like it was in the civil rights movement, and more about individual entitlement. It used to be, you are treating me worse than others, and that's unacceptable. Now, it is often, actually, I have the right to do what I want and what I like, and my individuality must be accepted by all others. People, when individuality became about the cause of others, we could see the way it played out, but now it has turned inwards. It's just who I am. Rather than individual freedoms, it gets taken a step further to individual affirmation. Now, what happens when people's sense of individualism conflicts with someone else's? We naturally live in a large society, and if you've ever dealt with a small number of children all at once, you find that they don't tend to kind of vote and agree on what they want to do, and often they'll want to do different things, and that's when the fun and games kind of collapses, right? It's not possible for everyone to have what they want. As a result of this, if we all think that we should be able to, but we're not all able to, we naturally start to t build a tension between us. If self-interest drives our decision-making, and that self-interest is constantly affirmed, then we will begin to clash with one another. Now, as we've moved away from author authority, as we've come to understand ourselves as individuals, Naturally, this is also the same period of time when people started to leave church. They saw church as an overarching authority that's trying to control them as a, as a collective, and so they started to move away from it. There were many good reasons for that at the time. The church has often failed to do its job well, um, but this particular reason led to an interesting movement within Christianity. Best seen in America, people left church and started to, and we saw the rise of large non-denominational churches the megachurch movement. 
And the megachurch movement focused on the salvation of the individual. Church became about individual experience. What someone's experience is in church, just them, how they experience it all the way through. I've been in missiology seminars where they were talking about the experience of the individual from when they enter the door to when they leave. Doing Christianity how you want to do it. You don't actually have to do it the way that you kind of the big church community told you you have to. You can do it however you want. Forcing it to be based on individual experience, well, then it becomes all about your personal interaction, whether that's with the pastor or with the music or with the various things that we do at church. It becomes a form of therapy for you as you experience it. And what happens to a church of people who think about their faith in an individualistic way? Well, as we all want church to meld around us and to meet our needs, as we want to define faith on our own terms, right? If we think we can customize kind of everything else in their life, I just bought a car, there's a bunch of things about it I could customize. Well, if we think that we can do that about everything else, then we'll also be tempted to customize our faith. And what happened to a large number of these churches is they inevitably collapsed. People leave. It wears off, right? They might not be able to agree with one another. The individualism of each person clashes. Now, there are lots of good reasons to leave a church, but this is something that we need to consider carefully as we think through what we do together. If we are committed to individualism in the 21st century, that is to achieving satisfaction of personal preference, then we are going to find church really hard, as it's described in God's Word. All right, let's get into the Bible. The work of salvation produces a community. So now we're going to look at what the Bible says about how we approach church together. Acts 2, starting at verse 42. Be great if you had your Bibles open. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." Now, in this part of Acts, we are in the context of the first great conversion at Pentecost. 2,000 people have responded to Peter's first sermon and put their faith in Jesus. And then we see how they behave afterwards. As you look through the passage, you find there's very little emphasis on the individual unless it's talking about those in need. Now, to be super clear, the context is real important. They are in a situation where physical churches don't exist yet. They are small and vulnerable. They're beginning to practice their faith in an environment that is incredibly hostile to them. So we can't take kind of each thing that they do here and apply it perfectly to us. But it is the principles and the approach to faith that they take on that is key for us. They do not put their faith in Jesus and then all leave This is a transformative moment in their lives. Everything they had or planned or thought before this moment doesn't matter to them anymore. It's put aside and they are characterized by a new commitment to their new community. That their new faith is something that they do together. They worship together. They commit themselves to the apostles' teaching. Our version of that is reading the Bible together. 
they fellowship, they pray together. We can discuss what it means by breaking of bread another time. Uh, They look out for each other, sharing their property and provisions. As all this occurs, they are growing in number. People are being saved and added to their community. Uh, Now, the church that I used to be at before here in Euston in London uh, met in a really kind of large cathedral building called Christ the King. Uh, And this building had been empty for like 50 years when Euston planted in it. Uh, And there was a building connected to it that had a bunch that was also owned by kind of the same trustee board. And they had a bunch of flats. And those flats were kind of rented out at a premium um, because of its location in London. A lot of the people who were tenants in that apartment block moved in before there was an active church meeting in the building next to it. Uh, This church wasn't just kind of active on Sunday. We met throughout the week. We did all our Bible studies in the building. We held tons of events there. It was a church of about 450 people, and we got complaints. Uh, I remember me, me and Dan lived in the building, so we were kind of on the front line with a lot of the complaints that we received. Uh, and I take, I take a lot of comfort knowing that, that was kind of, I'm kind of standing in a tradition that we find as early as 100, 112 uh, AD. We know that gathering together weekly for worship had become part of their practice immediately. And one of the ways we know this is that the Roman governor, Pliny the Younger, wrote to Emperor Trajan accounting the practice of Christians, referring to them gathering before daylight on a Sunday and singing, and that it was really annoying him. Now, he's, of course, more annoyed about the noise than anything else. Uh, Maybe we should be glad that we aren't meeting before dawn as a practice today, especially when most of us can't make it here for four. And so Paul's letters, right? Sorry, I was trying to slide that in, but... Paul's letters similarly express this group sentiment. The vast majority of his letters are written to churches, not individuals, and the letters to individuals are always about the church. His declarations and commands regarding Christian life and behavior are in the context of a community of belief. In Ephesians 5, Paul compares the relationship between Christ and the church to that of a husband and wife. And in Revelation, John accounts the glorious bride for our Savior. Essentially, once someone has made an individual commitment to Christ, they become part of something corporate, communal, collective, and universal. Not in a communist sense, but in the sense of a family. Like, I'm sure your family is full of individuals who are often quite different from each other, but the tie of your group identity is often stronger than that, isn't it? It pulls you together in spite of your differences. Uh, Family loyalty, I find, is often blind, right? Um, I experience this regularly um, with uh, my wife Danielle, in that she can essentially say whatever she likes about her family members, right? Um, they're all wonderful people with no flaws, so I'm all good. But she can kind of talk about them, and it's all fine, but man, if I agree, right, it completely changes the nature of the game. In the same way, I can whinge about my family till the cows come home. The second Danny's like, yeah, you're right, I'm like, will you say about my sister? Right? We have this loyalty to one another that ties us, even though we're different, and even though sometimes we're annoying towards each other. 
I know that tie is strong because I'm annoying and somehow people are still at church with me often. Now, with church, you kind of get the family warts and all. We are a complex bunch at church. We're messy. We don't always do well at this stuff. But that's family, isn't it? Looking out for each other, caring for one another, and sometimes putting the interests of others before ourselves. What is best for me, my own self-interest, sometimes that has to be put aside for the benefit of my brothers and sisters. And that is a profound way of thinking in today's world. I'm sure there are things at this church that you would change to better suit your preferences. Hopefully not the minister. Uh, I have things like that. But in the time that I've worked at church, this is the fifth church that I've worked at, there have always been things that I would have changed. And something I've had to think about is why do I think that? Is it because I genuinely desire the church to glorify Jesus more or as the millennial that I am, am I so used to being able to tailor things to my preferences that I'm really just trying to do that with church too? As this starts to clash with other people's ideas of individualism, I've seen the damage that can be done when we try to cater to every different person's desire. Because for every change you make, you make a bunch of people happy and you make a bunch of people unhappy. And so the reason behind change is is really important. They cannot be preference-based because we'll just chase our tail. They must be based on what we believe from God's word will be most helpful for ensuring that we can do all the things that are expressed in Acts 2. People aren't going to be able to fulfill all of their desires for themselves. And we see in Acts 2, it talks about sharing what we have. And in our context, I don't think that means forming a commune, so the introverts don't have to worry, but I'm sure many of you have found that this family can be of immense importance at times. When we struggle, when we fall, when we're apathetic, having members of the church who care for us, who look out for us, who correct us when we're in sin. It's so important that we have one another to look out for each other like family, looking out for our needs. Church is meant to be a place where some of us will make sacrifices for one another, whether that's jumping in and filling a roster spot, whether that's cooking someone meals, or just being a listening ear for someone going through a difficult time. The hope of this world is fulfillment of the individual, but the hope of eternity is the worship of Jesus through his church, often coming at a cost to individuals. And so we turn to Romans 3. Romans 12, sorry, verse 3, or looking at verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You see, it goes a step further, because as family, we have an obligation to each other. That is much more profound and significant than just the idea of working together. We are bonded owned by one another. I belong to you, and you belong to me. We are connected like a body in Christ. While in many ways we are individuals, in Christ we are one. When we come into faith, we are transformed as part of the body of Christ. There is a reason we pray our Father and not my Father, 
because we express this faith in recognition that when, even when you are physically on your own, you are part of a church of believers. Your identity of, in Christ is found in a family of faith. It's part of why we, the sacraments are something that we do together as a church. We baptize people not in secret, but publicly before the church. We do communion together to recognize that it is not my faith, it is our faith. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is, if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. There is still individual identity. And that is what makes church incredible. When you look around this room, right, when you see Christians across the world, we see all different types of personalities, experience, and gifting. You were made individually by our Lord in his image, and you have immense individual value to him. Value that is intended to then be partly expressed through membership of the body of Christ. Uh, this year, uh, Chris Tate has roped me into playing in his touch rugby team on a Monday night, uh, and I don't mind it. It's quite fun. I was pretty unfit, am unfit at the start, uh, and still struggle through each week. Uh, but something that I appreciate about it is I really like rugby in general, uh, rugby ball at home. But when I sit at home and I'm throwing my rugby ball around, or I kind of force Danny to go and throw it with me and kick it around, I am playing rugby, but I'm not quite playing it, right? I'm not playing it fully. I'm not doing it to its fullness. Uh, but when I rock up and have a throw around and actually play a, a game with a team, well, then there are other people there who can fill the other roles and what we're supposed to be doing, and we get to play this thing together. Even in that situation, I'm not doing it all right. Everyone else as one team are doing things together, and this is what church is like, right? You can do Christianity on your own, but it is a team sport. It is something that we do most fully when we do it as the church. The other thing is, because it's something that takes up a night in the week, and I get pretty tired doing it, um, it can be tempting to not rock up, right? And to not go along. Now, we're a good team, but we do, our fitness is still getting there. And so if I don't go one week, right, that's one less person who's there to play. It's one less person to substitute. And we play for like 40 minutes, which is a lot more running than I've done this year until then. If I don't go, it has an effect on other people. You see, this is one of the things about the individualistic way of thinking about church, is when you think about whether or not you're going to go, you're overwhelmingly thinking about kind of your experience. But your presence has an impact on other people, right? There are other people that you're there with who benefit from you being there and the Spirit's work through you. They may, be, they may have convinced themselves to go because they thought you were going to be there. When we don't go, we leave gaps. When we don't stand together, we leave gaps. There's lots of good reasons to miss church, right? If someone gets injured, it's fine if they don't play like footy. But the intent is that we go and we're there for each other. We are owned by each other. When I don't go, that has an impact on someone else because it's a sport we are meant to be playing together. These gifts that each of us have are intended to be used the body needs all of its parts. It cannot fully function without any one. 
and so neither can the church. And just as part of the body cannot function as the body, so a Christian cannot live out faith fully without the church. The church cannot function with just preachers or just evangelists. We need all the range of gifts as we work together as the bride of Christ to bring him glory. We need each other to be with us. Sorry, I'm going to take the metaphor even further. I hate, I hate people who drag out metaphors, but I was weak on it this week. Um, the life of the church. I think as well, often we can hear this and think, man, Tom's just like telling me I've got to like slug at it now, do every job, slave everywhere, be on every roster. And I just think that's not true. Because the thing about being in a family, being in a group of people working together who are interdependent, is that each of us go through different stages of life at church. And I call it the care cared for cycle, and it's a sine wave. It's where sometimes I'm in a place where I am good to go. I'm ready to go. I can care for other people, right? I've got the energy to. I can do it. Sometimes I'm actually at the other end of things, maybe in a few years' time, maybe you know, when someone has kids or maybe they get sick, something happens, and they don't have the capacity that they had, and they are in a stage where they need people at church to care for them. All of us go through these cycles, and what the interdependence of the body does is it means when we put all our graphs, sign graphs together, they're the math guys, got to be loving a bit of that, I'm an art student, right? They overlap. And that we always have people who can care, we have people who can care for, those people change. It's okay if you can't care for someone at the moment because that's not the stage you're at. The point is being able to understand where you are, to evaluate why you do stuff and to reach out to others. Sometimes it's okay to sit on the bench, right? You're still part of the team. Things are still happening. They're meant to be there. You just can't be the starter right now, and that is fine. It's not about us slaving away. It's about the interdependence of the church and its body. The fact is each of us will go through these stages of life, and sometimes we just won't be able to do stuff. The problem is when you sit on the bench when you could perfectly be doing those things. It's not about serving church regardless of your situation. A body working together puts the needs of each other ahead of our own to ensure that we as a church are able to bring glory to our Father in heaven and ensure that each member of the body is taken care of. There are some ways that we do this really well. There are some ways we could do better. I'm not really interested in lecturing us on these, but rather, I think each of us this week would always get value from spending some time in prayer and considering it for ourselves. Is there someone here you could be helping? Is there a way you could be serving? Maybe you actually need help and you need to reach out or you need to cut back on some things that you're doing. Look at verse 14. Blessed are those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is the life of faith, profoundly different to a hope based on the satisfaction of individual self-interests. Instead, we have a body to stand with. We need each other to lean on. We are family. We are not an organization. That means it's a lot more messy, but a lot more valuable. We are individually saved, 
but then we become part of something greater than ourselves, the bride of Christ. We worship together, make steps together, we fall together, and we pick each other up. Your personal relationship with Jesus is a priority, and I care about it very, very much. But a key part of that relationship happens in this family as we rejoice together, mourn together, and wait for the final day together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your family. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand this family, to see ways that we can fit in, ways we can help, and ways we can be helped. Lord, we do not pray that we respond to anything by overdoing it, but rather, Lord, we pray that you give us wise minds and thoughtful hearts that can, act, that can correctly assess what we are able to do or whether we can't. Lord, we thank you so much that you've given us one another to do this hard thing of faith as we seek to make it to the final day when we will be with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.